Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't miss high school football. Uh, believe it or not, I played high school football. I was a defensive back. I was pretty quick in my day. And I remember my coaches always saying, at the, as we got to the end of our senior year, the coaches saying, now work hard, guys, because when this is over, you're going to miss it. I'm happy to report I don't miss it, okay? It was really hard. It was a lot of work. It was painful many times. But I do kind of miss my coach, Coach Chris Bell, just an incredible guy, faithful man, Christian man, and just a font of wisdom, as high school football coaches often are. And I remember a couple of almost proverbs that he would often say. I'm sure he got them from somewhere else. He would always read John Wooden and Lou Holtz and these kind of books. But I remember one of them that I still stand by and I'll use with my own kids is he would say, character is what you do when nobody else is looking, right? Character is what you do when nobody else is looking. I always appreciated that. The other one that he would say, though, that I want to, uh, I want to push back on a little bit is he would say, pain is only weakness leaving the body. <laughs> Any of you heard this before? Pain is only weakness leaving the body. When you are getting bruised and battered, that's not exactly the message that, that you want to hear. But interestingly... A guy who would have agreed with my coach in this respect, although not in many other respects, is somebody who I often turn to as kind of a foil for our faith, and that's the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who famously said that God is dead, was not himself a believer by any stretch of the imagination, although he was, I'm sad to say, the son of a Lutheran pastor. True story. But he was very much the prophet of power. That was his thing. Might makes right. And this is one quotation from Mr. Nietzsche. What is the meaning of good, Friedrich writes? All that enlarges the sense of power in a man, the will to power, and power itself. What is the meaning of bad? Whatever is rooted in weakness. Let the weak and the failures perish. It's for us to see that they perish. What is more harmful than any vice? Active pity for the weak and the underdog. In fact, Christianity. Whew. That guy needed a little more ice cream in his life, I think. Um, <clears throat> this is very much an attitude that I think still prevails in our own day. That might makes right. Only the strong survive. You want to root out any weakness in your life. Pain is just weakness leaving the body. And, you know, Mr. Nietzsche is actually part right that as Christians, we do extol the weakness, but not to the detriment or to the, the ignoring, the degrading of power or strength. Instead, what we have is what St. Paul sets out in a proverb of his own, a kind of paradoxical proverb, which we heard in this evening's epistle, which is this, when I am weak, then I am strong. It's not weakness or strength. It's strength and weakness. If you will, it's a powerful weakness. That's the paradoxical tension that we live in as followers of Jesus Christ, the one who came in that sort of powerful weakness. And it's easy, it's natural to fall off on one side or the other, only to emphasize the weakness and in so doing to essentially affirm what Nietzsche had said about Christians, that we are just weak, we are just the world's doormat. 
Or, on the other hand, only to emphasize the strength and the power side of it and say, no, we are, a mighty fortress is our God. We are going to be strong. We're going to be powerful. We are going to, to set aside any weakness. It's natural, I say, to fall off on one side or the other. But when we live in this tension of powerful weakness, when we uphold that paradox on both sides at once, we dwell in the all-sufficient grace of God. And that's what I want to help us do this evening, is to kind of normalize that tension and to think about what it means for us to live in that place, the place where our Savior is, and to avoid falling off on just one side or the other. But let's think about that and, and how that can happen. So on the one hand, it would be possible, it is possible, as Christians, only to emphasize the weakness. Again, to basically say, yeah, Nietzsche, you know what? You were right, because to be a Christian is simply and solely to be weak. And we don't want to go move past this too quickly because there's something to this. See, that weakness side of it does underscore a central aspect of the gospel. Think about how our Lord works throughout the scriptures. He is a God of the meek and the weak, is he not? You go all the way back to the Old Testament. Go back to the story of Exodus. And I love this, this part in Exodus chapter 1. It's right at the beginning. And you remember what Pharaoh is fixing to do. He's seeing the Israelites are growing. They're multiplying too quickly. And so the Pharaoh, we don't even hear his name. All-powerful Pharaoh. We aren't told his name. But there is this story alongside of it of the Hebrew midwives. You remember this? And the Hebrew midwives, they catch wind of this latest policy from Pharaoh that all of the, the kids that they're supposed to just pitch them into the Nile River, and they don't do it. They push back. They engage in a little bit of civil disobedience, right? We should obey God rather than men. And their names, the Bible does record, because these are the kind of people whom God looks on, the meek and the weak, the Hebrew midwives, but not the Egyptian pharaohs. We see God operating this way all throughout the scriptures as he is attending to the, the lost and the least and the lowly. Think of the, the mother of our Lord, Mary herself. What is she? She's just some, some rural peasant, backwater woman. She's a, a teenager, really. She in all likelihood was probably 15, 16 years old. And when she sings her song, the Magnificat, my soul magnifies the Lord for he has regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. We have a God who attends to those who are weak and meek. And far be it from us to ignore or to deny that side of it. I think it is a natural um, temptation or impetus to say we want to emphasize and to focus simply and solely on that weakness. But if we only do that, if we only do that, we miss this paradox and that God has called you and me to live into this tension to live into this tension of powerful weakness. Because it's both at the same time. We're not called to be hapless and helpless. You as Christians are not the devil's doormat, okay? Or the world's doormat, for that matter. I read this account from a, a humanitarian, a man who was working in Rwanda after the awful genocide there. He was working alongside some Christian missionaries, as they were ministering to and attending to the needs of some of the, the Christians in Rwanda and others who had just suffered immeasurably throughout that genocide. And they came to that place 
expecting to find a people who had been beaten down by the world in the most uh, extreme, severe way possible. They expected to find people who were just utterly, solely weak. But this man, he recounts a time as they were meeting these Rwandan Christians and talking to them, and they were just doing introductions, right? And uh, one of the leaders of the group started introducing all of his, his brothers and sisters, the, the community members. And it may have been just a, a kind of uh, glitch in translation, but what they were saying as they introduced one another, said, this one is powerful in singing. This one is powerful in cooking. This one is powerful in caring for those who are injured. This one is, and down they went uh, with each one of them, calling them out, introducing them by name, and then saying, this one is powerful in whatever it was that God had gifted them in, their, their skills, their experiences, and so forth. And what it caused this man to realize is that, yes, they were weak, but they had a power beyond the world's ways of knowing, and it was both of those at the same time. And isn't that right when we look at our Savior, who not only came in humility and lowliness, but also came powerfully, turning over tables, calling to account those who would oppose him, even to the point where we heard in this evening's gospel, when there were those who would not believe and they're expecting Jesus to just be that wonder worker saying, all right, come on, let's see, let's see some, uh, what do you got there? And he refuses to do it. You're not going to believe? Then neither am I going to just do some tricks to try and persuade you to believe in me. But with diamond hard resolve and moral strength, our Lord Jesus shows, yes, he is weak, but he's also powerful. Both of those at the same time. And that's where you and I live too. As those who have been baptized into that Christ, who claim by faith that Lord Jesus, you too live in that paradoxical place where we find the all-sufficient grace of our Savior. So, on the one hand, there is that temptation only to emphasize the weakness side of Christianity. Yes, that's absolutely there. It's there in our Savior. But we want to remember it's a powerful weakness. But there's also that opposite temptation, only to emphasize the power and the strength being uh, belonging to the Almighty God and forgetting the weakness and the compassion of our Lord. And you know what? This, I think, is especially an understandable temptation in our time and place, where Christianity many times has just rolled over and allowed itself to just be trampled on by the world, refused to take a stand for its confession of faith. In the uh, early 20th century, there was this movement. Some of you might remember this. is called muscular Christianity, all right? You had guys like Billy Sunday who were really touting, trying to emphasize the, the more martial aspects of the faith. This is, it was out of that movement that we have some of our great hymns like Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, Onward Christian Soldiers. You know what? Yeah, that's right. We are powerful. We are strong. We do not fight with the, the weapons of war of the world, but we do have the Word of God, which is able to destroy strongholds. We don't want to forget or deny that side of it either. And that's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. But taken too far, if not held in tension, if only the powerful and forgetting the weakness, there can be a downside of it. And, you know, that muscular Christianity, it might not surprise you to hear this, especially appealed to dudes, okay? Ladies were more ambivalent about it, but guys were like, yeah, muscular Christianity, that's right. Bodybuilders for Jesus, right? Where's the gun show? Okay. Um, 
there can be a downside to that as well. And there was this great song by a Christian musician in the 90s, a guy by the name of Rich Mullins. And he has this line in, in one of his songs called Growing Young. He says, everybody used to tell me, big boys don't cry. Well, I've been around enough to know that that was the lie that held back the tears in the eyes of a thousand prodigal sons. That notion, big boys don't cry, that if you're going to be a Christian, mm, you're just going to, be, you're going to be tough, you're going to be strong, don't show any weakness. That's not the message of the gospel, see. We instead have a Lord who came not only in strength, but in compassion, not only in might, but also in mercy. And that's where you and I live as well, in that place of powerful weakness, trusting and leaning on him by faith and recognizing, realizing that his grace is sufficient for us, that yes, we can be muscular, but we can also be merciful. It's not an either or. It's a both and. When I think about what this looks like, to live in that place. I think of a guy who's a, a Jesuit priest, a guy by the name of Gregory Boyle, and he wrote this uh, memoir, Tattoos on the Heart. And what's uh, really remarkable about Gregory Boyle is he ministers to gang members in LA. That's his calling. And he is like one of the most compassionate, caring men that you can possibly imagine. But he also don't take no guff. As you can imagine, if you're gonna minister to, to gangsters, he tells a story. One time he's, he's at this gathering and uh, some other of the, the gangsters who had come over to the faith and had kind of renounced their ways, they're like, Father Boyle, you need to talk to this guy over here. And he was the one, he was one of what they call a shot caller. He was a, a big, tough guy and he was one that everybody else looked to, right? And so Father Boyle's like, hey, come on, let's talk. And the guy's you know, do one of these. You, know, you got to puff up. Ooh, guys, you know, I mean, we do these sorts of things. Hey, oh, all right. And Father Boyle just says to him, son, what's your name? And he says, sniper. Says, oh, okay, sniper. All right. That's probably not what it said on your birth certificate. What's your name? And he said, Cadron. He says, okay, what, what, what does your mom call you? And he says, mm, Napoleon. And he's getting a little bit closer, right? He says, okay, Napoleon, a fitting name for a guy who thinks that he's a boss of everybody else. He says to him, what does your mom call you when she's not mad at you? And suddenly, the tough veneer goes off of sniper. Because Father Boyle had seen something in him, had recognized that he was just trying to, to compensate or overcompensate. And suddenly he relaxes, the tough guy act goes away, and he says, Napito. <laughs> In that place, Napito comes to a moment where he's able to recognize, I don't have to be tough in the presence of this guy. I can put down my guard and allow myself to be vulnerable. And that's how it is for you and me in the presence of our Lord Jesus, see? We don't have to be tough. We don't have to be the guys who hold it all together. His grace is sufficient for you. For his power is made perfect in weakness. And it's interesting, that word that Paul uses there, where it's translated, is made perfect, 
It's the same word that you often hear me quote that our Lord speaks from the cross when he says, it is finished. Tetelestai is the Greek word. Paul uses that same word here, saying God's power is finished, perfected in weakness. And I think he's calling our minds back to that place of the greatest strength and the greatest weakness of our Lord Jesus on the cross, that if that is where we meet our Savior, we can dwell in that place too and find His all-sufficient grace. I mean, isn't it just what we learned in that song that we all learned as children? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are what? Weak. But He is strong. In our weakness, it's his strength. When we are weak, when we are lonely, when we are feeling forgotten, beat down, broken, then you live in that place of his perfect strength. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith.